Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Welcome to Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. Hey, God bless you, everybody. Welcome to Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. And we're your hosts, Matt and Stephanie Garrity. And we're founders of River of Heaven Ministries. And we have a threefold vision to rebuild and restore, equip and empower and revive and heal. Through these broadcasts, you're going to be touched, rebuilt and restored, equipped and empowered and revived and healed. And you're going to be functioning like never before as a kingdom man or a kingdom woman. And so God bless you today. If you want to support the podcast, visit us at www.riveroftheaven.org slash donate. And so we've been talking about the last few podcasts, some really exciting topics. We've been delving into the river of God, which many people don't quite understand. It's an amazing concept uh, that starts all the way in the book of beginnings in Genesis. And then we find toward the middle of the word of God as well in the book of Ezekiel. And then we find it again, this concept, same concept in the book of Revelation chapter 22. And then from there, we kind of launched out into this avenue of what is the sevenfold spirit of God? The sevenfold spirit of God. Many people don't understand the sevenfold spirit of God. Many people don't even realize that the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold spirit of God is actually referring to Holy Spirit or the third person of the Godhead. You know, I was talking to a friend recently uh, from Florida and we had a conversation and she didn't even really ever hear uh, of anything about the Spirit of God, the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold Spirit of God. And when I brought her to her, to her attention, when you look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says very explicitly that there's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, and knowledge in the fear of the Lord. This is what we call the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold Spirit of God. We also understand that this sevenfold spirit of God, it is actually one and the same as a third person of the Godhead, Holy Spirit. This is an excellent topic to jump into because there is a lack really of an understanding and we need to have understanding. You know, the Bible says that it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search that out. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are kings and priests, even it says again in the book of Revelation, that we are royalty in the kingdom of God. And as such, as kings, God conceals certain things, but we are called to search them out. And how do we search them out? We search them out through prayer. We search them out through spending time in the presence of God, through worshiping the Lord. Another uh, area that we're very passionate about is restoring true worship. And true worship, and this all ties together, but true worship, you know, worship does not mean to sing a song. Worship does not mean to dance around. These are avenues of expressing our worship or our praise. But worship at at the very heart of worship is a laying down of everything. It's a surrendering of everything. And again, to look at 
where the first time we understand what worship biblically really means, we got to go back to the book of Genesis. Amen. And so there's so many different gems that are out there. But as we jump into this gem of the sevenfold spirit of God, our focal scripture really is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And, and I'm astounded that many people have never read this portion of scripture. Uh, they don't believe the Old Testament applies that much anymore or whatever the case may be. But it, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says this, speaking of Jesus, speaking, this is a messianic prophecy, speaking on who this spirit, this sevenfold spirit, or this, the seven spirits of God are going to rest on. He says this, Isaiah 11, 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And we also know that you know, if you are a born-again believer, that our Messiah has been unveiled. His name is Jesus Christ. And for those who may still be searching for your Messiah, I would invite you to discover that Isaiah 11.2 speaks of that Holy Spirit was going to rest upon. And, and these dimensions or these characteristics of the Spirit of God, of Holy Spirit, were going to rest upon Him. Who is Him? He is the Messiah. The one, the one that the Lord is unveiling. Many times in the Old Testament, it refers to him as the right hand or the right arm. And it's very interesting because guess who is seated at the right hand of the Father? Somebody say Jesus. That's right. But the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the first aspect of Holy Spirit that we see come uh, to surface here is Lordship. And we know that this is a big issue in the body of Christ, isn't it? Everyone wants to talk about Jesus as Savior, but how many want to actually receive him as Lord? Lord doesn't mean I'm saving you. Lord means master. Lord means if someone's your Lord, you surrender. You surrender. You're my Lord. Many people call Jesus Lord, but the question is this. Ask yourself this question. Have I really surrendered to him? Have I completely surrendered to his Lordship? And interestingly enough, that is the first dimension or the first characteristic or the first nature, if you will, of Holy Spirit that's mentioned. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Lordship. If we don't understand Lordship, we don't understand anything because everything flows out of that place of Lordship. When we give ourselves over, and that's that aspect of worship again. Why? Because when we look at the first time worship was mentioned, it's really in Genesis chapter 22, where Abram takes his son up on the mountain. Uh, and before they go up, he says to his servants, the boy, the lad and I, Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, he says, the lad and I are going to go up yonder or go up the mountain and worship the Lord. Worship. And what was Abraham going to do? He wasn't going to play a, a tremendous guitar solo. He wasn't going up there to sing some kind of amazing solo song about the Lord or to the Lord. No, he was going up there to lay down the promise that God had given him. Again, he was going out there to say, regardless of everything else, you are Lord. You are Lord. And isn't it interesting that as we know, as the story goes, God tests Abraham. He allows Abraham to lay down his son Isaac on the altar. And just as he's about to strike the lad down, all of a sudden, Abraham, 
Don't even dare touch that lad. For I know now that you've not withheld from me your only son. And therefore, in layman's term, God says, now I'm not going to withhold anything from you, Abraham. I'm going to give you everything that I promised you. I'm going to bring it into your life because you passed the test. But again, what was that test? The test was lordship. See, people can say, save me. Oh, you're my savior. And God did save Abraham. Remember, God called Abraham out of his father's household. His father was an idolater. His father lived in Ur the Chaldees. That was a place of uh, the Babylonian area. That was a place where there was witchcraft and divination and sorcery. That was the kind of stuff that they were into. But God did save Abraham. He, but whether Abraham realized it or not, he saved Abraham out of those circumstances. And he said, follow me. Remember who else said, follow me? Absolutely. Jesus said, follow me as we see in the new covenant. So really scripture, when we begin to look at the whole of scripture, God has been unveiling himself as father, son, and Holy Spirit for the fullness of of the whole counsel of the word of God. In the very beginning, what do we see? We see that the spirit of God hovered over the water in Genesis chapter one, verse verse, uh, one, two, three, and four, when it talks about the beginning, it says the spirit of God hovered over the water. And it said, then father God was there. God spoke. And guess guess what? When he spoke, the word of God is who? It's Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. It says, in the, again, in the Gospels, it says that nothing that was made that was made except through Christ. How? Because he's the word of God. And the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work so well together, seamlessly, together with one another. We would not even know that they were three distinct persons of a godhood uh, as, that function as one if they weren't explained to us. And that's what's so interesting about this. See, everything is intertwined. It's so prophetic. It's so much of a tapestry. You think about years and years ago, you may have heard stories about ancient cultures weaving these tremendous tapestries, these tremendous garments or these rugs, ornamental rugs. Uh, Some cultures still hold these uh, pieces of art in high value. And yet, when we look at scripture, we see the interconnectedness and we see the, the things being woven together and this, this topic comes into this topic and this revelation comes into this. Why? Because the word of God is living. But again, it all stems from lordship. It all stems from when, when you are Lord God of my life, then everything else flows out of that. If you don't understand lordship, you don't understand surrender. If you don't understand lordship, you don't understand submission to God's authority. And if we remember all the way back in Genesis, there was someone who always was trying to subvert God's authority. And that was Lucifer, or as we know him, Satan, or the adversary, or that ancient serpent, the devil, whatever way you want to call him, in the the very beginning... You know, after he tried the, the coup d'etat in heaven, I call it a land, an air land assault because he tried to call the coup uh, uh, in heaven, try to get the angels to turn against God and try to take over heaven. But at the same time, he's also trying to corrupt the seed. And how did he try to corrupt the seed? How did he try to corrupt Adam and Eve? By taking lordship out of the equation. By saying, don't worry about what God said. Yeah, you could have any tree. I know what he said about that one tree in the midst of the garden, but don't worry. Did God really say? And when you examine 
the depths and really start to dig into the Hebrew, we'll find that he removed the word, the Lord God. He removed the word or the understanding of lordship. And what's so fascinating about this is that what's extremely interesting about this is that that same Hebrew word for the tree of knowledge of good and evil is actually that same Hebrew word that's used in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Spirit of knowledge in the fear of the Lord. And guess what? Guess who also that spirit was is upon and actually now dwells in? If you said us, you're absolutely correct. So wait a minute. I thought that God never wanted people to have the knowledge. You know, it's the same Hebrew word that doesn't make sense. God... We, He wanted to withhold things. That's what the attack was. God's withholding things from you. He doesn't want you to have this. He thinks you're just, or he knows you're going to be just like him and you're going to have all this knowledge and wisdom. See, that wasn't the issue. The issue was lordship. God always wanted man to have knowledge. Matter of fact, he gave us his spirit of lordship, of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see that? He gave it to us. However, it's under his lordship though. See, Satan will always tell you, you can have this, this, and that. And it's a counterfeit because he always removes lordship. You don't have to submit. You don't have to surrender. I hate to say it, but if we're honest, there's a gospel being preached right now that Satan, I believe, is in the midst of. He's preaching a gospel through people of you can have it your way. You can do whatever you want. Oh, you're a born-again Christian. You just got to believe in Jesus and he's okay. Don't worry. Sin's not the issue anymore. None of that's a problem. And it's deception because Christ is not just Savior. He's Lord. And if he's Lord, remember what he says, if I'm Lord, don't call me Lord if you don't do what I say. In other words, Many say, Lord, Lord, in Matthew chapter 7, but how many does he actually really know? How many does he actually have an intimate relationship with? How many actually are known by the Lord? See, there's a difference, but you saying, I know you, Lord, and him saying, but I don't know you. And how does he know you? If you've acknowledged lordship. If, if he is truly your Lord, because then guess what? If, if he's your Lord, you don't want to just do whatever you want to do anymore. And it's not a follow the law mentality, beloved. It's a mentality of something has changed within me. That when I've been born again, there's a new nature that lives in me. That God's spirit dwells in me. Now there's an internal motivation for righteousness. There's an internal motivation for holiness. I think Dr. Billy Graham said it best. He said, when you're born again, you absolutely know. He said, because the sin you used to love, you now hate. He said, and the, the things that you once were repulsive to you, that, other, that Christians loved, that you hated, now you love those things. There's been a change. There's been an absolute death of one, the old man, and a resurrection, and a new nature, and life as the new nature, the new creation in Christ. But again, in Christ who? The Lord. The Lord. Everything comes, the Lordship of Christ is everything. It is one of the least preached doctrines of the faith, the deity or the Lordship of of Jesus Christ. Because then we get away from all this other nonsense that's being preached all over the place in the body of Christ right now. If we're honest with ourselves, of of Jesus being your, he's your buddy. He'll give you a million dollars. He'll do all this for you. But it was never about that. It's not about what Jesus can give you. You know, it's about 
have we really truly surrendered to him? Have we really truly said, you know what? I matter. I don't want this old nature anymore. Have we really actually come to and through the cross? See, beloved, without understanding the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Lord, we can't really understand any other aspect. Forget about wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Because if you don't have an understanding of Lordship, none of those other things that proceed out of the Lord, that proceed out of His Lordship, you'll corrupt every other thing because you think it's about you. But when you understand Lordship and you realize that everything comes from God, through God, and back to God, then and your heart is just, I want to glorify you, Lord Jesus, and I, I just want to honor you, and it's all about you, then guess what? He'll give you all the wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of him than you could ever possibly imagine. Why? Because you've acknowledged his Lordship. Do you remember the story about the Roman centurion in the new, in the new covenant? where Jesus marveled at the Roman centurion. Why? Because out of all the people, and there were many Jews that were there, but why would he marvel? Roman centurion said, I'm not even worthy that you should come under my roof, but just send the word and the servant's going to be healed. And the Roman centurion said, okay, I know that that very moment where you spoke the word, my servant got healed. So as a military officer, I know that you're under proper authority. In other words, he understood lordship. He understood that he was, that Caesar was lord of the Roman government or whatever you want to call it. He thought he was lord. Obviously, that's idolatry, but this is a story. This is an allegory. Caesar thought he was lord. So those centurions all reported up to Caesar. And he said this, the Roman centurion said, I to him a man under authority, under lordship. I say to these hundred people that are reporting to me as a centurion, oh, he was over a hundred men at least. These men will do what I ask them to do. Why? Because they understand that I'm under Caesar's lordship. And if they don't listen to what I have to say, they're in big trouble. And so based on this man's military background, it's, it's fascinating. He was not even a believer, but Jesus marveled at what? His faith, because he understood that if Jesus just sent the word, all he said was, man, when this guy speaks the word, when this guy sends the word, things happen. And Jesus said, he marveled and he said, I have not, watch this, found such great faith, not even in Israel. What a rebuke. He said even about the Jewish people, I haven't even found this faith in you. But this man understands, he doesn't even understand really anything except for when I speak, things happen because I'm the word made flesh. And the Roman centurion said, I understand lordship. And I understand that you are Lord because when you speak, things happen because you're under the authority of Father God. You're under the proper authority. There's an authority that flows out of you. Why? Because there's lordship accompanying with that. Lordship. Christ is Lord because Father God gave him that title of lordship. Why? Because he's always in complete submission to the Father. He says, I don't do anything I see. That I don't see the Father doing. I, I only want to do what, what the Father wants me to do. Remember, we see that language throughout all the new covenant. Why? He was demonstrating to us of what proper submission looked like, what proper understanding of lordship looked like. So then, as it says, when he was resurrected and there is no name that's above his name, now we call him what? Christ the Lord. 
He's our Lord. Why? Because he submits to the Father. See, everything is unperfect alignment in the kingdom of God. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit of God submits to the Son and the Father. They work together seamlessly. There's never any fighting amongst the Godhead. There's never any backbiting or any, but yet we've got an issue these days. uh, uh, I have the Lord and I only need him. I don't need a pastor. I don't really need someone to submit to. Again, it's a lordship issue because if you understand lordship, that God said, whatever God says, that's what goes. And what did God say? He said, you can't, if you can't submit to a man or, or an authority figure here, don't say you're submitting to me because absolutely you're lying. Someone that I've placed in a place of authority, whether it's at your job, whether it's in your local church, whatever the case may be, then God says, don't even think that you're serving me because you couldn't even serve someone that I put in, in your life. Think about this for, if you will, from the time, even from birth, a baby, when a baby is born, that baby is a master craftsman or craftswoman. They try to get their way every way they can turn. I want to do this or crying about this or whatever. And we love our babies. We love the kids. But they, if we're honest with ourselves, they can really, they learn how to manipulate. But what are they subjected to at, at an early age? They're subjected to the lordship of their parents. See, because God has called us to be stewards and to be, you know, lovers of our children, but also to to help them, to train them, to bring them up in the things of the Lord, right? There's even the whole story where Sarah called Abraham Lord. And there's any time there's a, a, a established order from God, he refers to it as some type of lordship. Now, it's not the same lordship as us surrendering to him, but it's authority. It's surrender to authority. It's surrender to his order. Because when God's order is established, there's power. When God's order is established, there's unity. And as this child is growing up, in the natural sense, this child eventually learns to submit to authority, learns lordship, learns to submit to mommy and daddy, and then eventually is taught about their true Lord and master, who is Jesus Christ. And, they, and then they become good law-abiding citizens as they get older and they grow in the things of God. Remember, even Jesus as our example, as he was, a, he was born in the sense of a baby, okay? He came into the, the, the world wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, born of the Virgin Mary, supernatural birth. But the Bible says that he continued to learn. He continued to submit himself unto who? Mary and Joseph, until there was a time appointed by Father God, where there was then a transition of headship or a transition of lordship. Remember, the scripture says that he was under tutors or lords and governors until the appointed time, or or tutors and governors or tutors and lords until the appointed time. And what was the appointed time? The appointed time was when Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. John the Baptist baptized him, and when he came up out of the water, guess who was there? The Bible says the Spirit of God came down, the sevenfold Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge of the fear of the Lord came down upon Jesus. And then what did Father God say? Out of heaven, he thundered and said, this is what or who? My son. He's my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. This is my son. And after that, there was a transition of headship. He never referred to his mother 
as mother again. He referred to Mary as woman, but it was with the utmost dignity and respect. Why? Because there was a transition of headship and now there was complete lordship uh, between father and God and the son. Complete surrender. There was no longer the parental uh, line as he learned and he was weaned under tutors and governors, but at the appointed time. And I believe that even as spiritual uh, sons and daughters, you know, there is, there is, uh, we are trained and we grow and things like that in the natural sense. But then there comes a time where there's a transition where then we begin to understand spiritual lordship. And yes, we continue to submit to the, the authorities and every the natural, uh, the natural places of authority. But there's a higher level now. There's a higher level of authority that we, by understanding that God put the natural authorities here in Romans 13, it talks about submit yourself to the governing authorities. When we submit ourselves to the authorities, whatever authorities those were that, that God put in, whether it's the government, whether it's our pastor, whether it's our parents, as we submit ourselves to those authorities, we learn how to be faithful to him who is the the a supreme authority. He is who created authorities and all dominions and all ranks and all kings and all. Listen, he even allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come to power. If you look in Daniel, it says in Daniel that the God of heaven has given you the kingdom of Babylon. That's what he said to Nebuchadnezzar. You king, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, are a king of kings, a king of kings, not the. For the God of heaven has given you the kingdom of Babylon. Wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man. He did terrible things. Yeah, but God created all dominions and thrones and rulerships. And watch this. If people have authority, there's only one person that either gave it to them or allowed them to have it. And as soon as God gave it, he can take it away. Why? Because he is Lord of all. That's why. He's absolute Lord of all. Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate? Many people thought he should be trembling and shaking. Even Pilate was kind of putting him through the works a little bit there. Don't you know who I am? I could have you crucified. I could have you, you know, I could do whatever I want to you. Because why? I have a lordship over you. Or so he thought. He thought he was Lord over Jesus. He thought the lordship of Rome reigned over Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? I believe it's in John chapter 19. He said, I'll answer you, Pilate, but my kingdom is not of this world. I've got a different Lord, in other words. And by the way, the authority that you've been given, my father gave you that authority. Now, this is the Roman governor. He had to be almost thinking to himself, who is this man? Everyone else is begging for their life. And here's this Jesus of Nazareth. Here's this Jesus, the king of the Jews. And he's telling me that I have no authority except for his father in heaven. Wow. So, We need to understand the power of the understanding of the lordship, the understanding that that God created lordship, that he exemplified it in the son as Christ was obedient in all things. It said that he gave him a name that was above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is who? Lord of all. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And again, Everything flows out of lordship and understanding of lordship. And I want to give you a challenge and uh, search the scriptures. Look up the scriptures on lordship, the lordship of Jesus. It will change your life. Look up, do a search uh, for all the scriptures on Jesus Christ is Lord or the lordship of Jesus or just the word Lord. You may be fascinated and astounded 
And uh, if you want to contact me, reach out to me. I'm on social media, Matthew M. Garrity. And also you can send me an email if you have questions at mgarrity at riveroftheaven.org. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next time when we dig deeper into the depths of the expanse of the Word of God to pull out these gems and these nuggets of wisdom. Until next time, goodbye. If you'd like to connect with us, you can go to our website at www.riveroftheaven.org. River of Heaven Ministries is advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven through various means. In James 1.27, Scripture teaches us to care for the widows and the orphans. We take this seriously and are actively involved in supporting widows and others in need on a monthly basis. Together, we can do more. Additionally, our radio broadcasts and podcasts reach all nations, touching lives worldwide. Daily, new listeners hear the gospel, and through these broadcasts and podcasts, millions have an opportunity to repent, believe, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listeners also learn about powerful Tabernacle of David principles through our teaching, encouraging all to worship the Father in spirit and in truth with great passion and purity. Your financial gift of any amount will help us to continue to support those in need and allow us to launch high-quality recorded radio broadcasts, podcasts, and teaching that are available for free to anyone who has internet access. With your prayers and financial support, we will continue to reach millions in our generation and multiply millions in generations to come. Thank you for partnering with us. Another way that you can support our ministry is by buying Matthew's new book, Holy Spirit, the Sevenfold Spirit of God. In this book, you will learn the history of the Spirit of God, the characteristics of the Spirit of God, the nature of the Spirit of God, and the ministry of the Spirit of God. You will get in-depth teaching on the Holy Sevenfold Spirit of God and how to walk in it. You will also have applicable worship and prayer points, and new prayer declarations and decrees. You can buy this book by going to our website on our resources tab. This book is also available on Amazon, Apple iBooks, and anywhere books are sold.